The scripture lesson today is Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, in the Old Testament part of the Pew Bible on page 622. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of the jackals shall become a swamp. The grasses shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Would you join me in prayer? Sometimes our love lives become so entangled with the values and distractions of the world we forget you, O oh God. You, however, do not forget us. Your ever-watchful eyes of compassion are upon us, calling us to turn toward your love and peace. May we hear and respond in faithfulness. Amen. Hear the words from the Gospel of Matthew. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. 
and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. May God add a blessing to the word. There is no Advent story without enigmatic John the Baptist. There is no Jesus the Christ without John the Baptist. And while being so important, as Amanda said, have you ever seen a Christmas ornament of John the Baptist? Right? A camel hair tunic, a leather belt, a little fist raised in the air, locusts and honey in the mouth. So it's the third Sunday of Advent, and John the Baptist is still with us. As you remember, John was the son of the Jewish priest uh, Zechariah and Mary's cousin Elizabeth. John was Jesus's rather eccentric second cousin. John was considered the new Elijah, chosen by God for a special mission to point to the Messiah. John was not the Messiah. He was set apart to prepare the way for the Messiah. We're most familiar with John at the Jordan River when he baptized Jesus, when he was preaching the imminent coming of the kingdom of God, when he was calling bystanders both to inward and outward repentance. John baptizing Jesus is probably one of the most poignant scenes in Jesus's life. The dove from heaven alighting upon Jesus and a voice declaring him as God's son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John had his own disciples who were shaped by his ascetic practices. They continued to follow John even after Jesus was well into his own ministry. John sat squarely in the tradition of his prophetic forebears of Elijah and Isaiah, calling the people of God to right living. Jesus described John as a prophet, yet even more than a prophet. As Frederick Beekner put it, the prophets were drunk on God, and in the presence of their terrible tipsiness, no one was ever comfortable. With a total lack of tact, Prophets roared out against phoniness and corruption wherever they found them. They were the terror of the kings and priests. Like a prophet drunk on God, John couldn't hold his tongue about King Herod's debauched marriage. You know, psychologists call a person's strong response to criticism a defense mechanism, right? 
Situations get dangerous when an egomaniacal leader with an overactive defense mechanism and the power to wield against their opponent is dangerous and life-threatening. And that's how John ended up sitting in prison awaiting the gallows. Disillusioned and disheartened, John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one we've been waiting for? Or will there be someone else? John was disillusioned because Jesus was, after all, the one upon whom he'd based his hope and his life's work. Perhaps for John, Jesus was not living up to John's expectations of what the Messiah would be or what the Messiah would do. Perhaps John expected the Messiah to take down the Herods of the world. Perhaps John expected the Messiah to pour out God's wrath upon those who would not or did not repent. John said, maybe the Messiah will take them out, will incinerate them. But there he was, behind bars, deep in a crisis of faith, wondering, did he stake his life on the wrong promise and the wrong person Are you the one we've been waiting for, or shall we keep waiting for another? Jesus told John's followers, go back to John and tell him what you hear and see me doing. I preach good news to the poor, give sight to the blind, make the lame walk, let the prisoner go free, declare the year of the Lord's favor, tell John that lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Tell John, I am fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah. In Mark 1, John says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. In Luke 4, Jesus said in the synagogue, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. This Greek word for fulfill, pleirou, means to make full, or to fill out, or to go to the fullness, to completeness, to wholeness. I am the fulfillment of God's law and prophets. I am filling out God's kingdom on earth. I am restoring people to wholeness and completeness because that's what the kingdom is about. Jesus was trying to tell John, my works are my words. So at this point, It's good to remind ourselves that earlier in Matthew 3, John said, He must increase, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. So we never know what John, how John responded to what Jesus told him through his disciples. John kind of fades from the story. Well, he gets beheaded, but he fades from the story. Didn't want to spoil that, but spoiler. John's absence opens the way for Jesus to grow into his full capacity as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the one called by God. 
This story certainly does not burn brightly with joy on this third Sunday of Advent. Like all good stories, though, this one cracks us open and asks questions of us. First, what obstacles are keeping you from creating space to a fuller or more complete or whole faith? What obstacles are keeping you from creating space for a fuller faith? And two, what holds you back from becoming fully and wholly and completely the person God intends for you to be? What holds you back from being the person God intends for you to be? When Tim and I were in seminary, we had a supervising pastor, and he would often say, God puts a crown over every person's head, and we spend our whole lives growing into it. We grow into becoming the beloved child of God we already are. And it sounds so easy, but it's not. It's hard work to accept and keep on accepting the truth that we are loved unconditionally. It's hard work to make room in our hearts to receive that love without merit. When we do, though, faith and love and forgiveness will keep expanding and growing and filling out inside of us. And then what happens? All that love and grace and forgiveness moves out toward others. That's always the movement. Love on the inside for God and ourselves moves out to the outside towards love for others. In the incarnation God moved toward us. God is always moving toward us. And our invitation is to respond by moving toward God. The challenge is to discern what obstacles keep us from making that move. So we can ask, we can pray for God to help us to remove those particular obstacles in our way. We can ask God to show us what it is that keeps us from living our life to the fullest, from living our faith to the fullest, from growing into that crown God has set above us. You decide, though, what your prayer needs to be. Each of us has our own impediments to a fuller faith. Our friend Nadia says, Instead of creating a Christmas list each year of what we want, we should create an Advent list of things we need to get rid of, of things that need to be taken away. So your prayer might be, take away my regrets, or my shame, or my fear, or my conflict avoidance or my arrogance, or my anxious need for the approval of others, or my perfectionism, or my negative feelings about my body, or my fear of change, or my relentless worry, or my judgmental attitude, 
or my denial of God's love for me. Take away, O God, what keeps me from you. I'll finish by sharing an epiphany I had the other day. I was scrolling through Facebook, a very deep well of theological profundity. (laughs) And between the political posts and the family vacation pictures are usually funny baby videos, right? And I'm a sucker for them. If you want a little shot of dopamine, always watch a baby video. And while watching for the hundredth time the video of a six-month-old laughing hysterically at his dad tearing paper, simply tearing, do you know that one? Yeah, it's hysterical. Um, I was struck in this material way that God came as a baby who probably laughed hysterically, thought things were hilarious. So next to a puppy, a baby might be the most disarming creature on earth. In coming as a baby, think about it, God showed us who God really is. Not a God to be afraid of. Not a God of wrath and judgment, but a God of love, a God of gentleness, a God of laughter. The God of the Hebrew Scripture is a God of love shown to us in Jesus to show us just how loving and vulnerable is this God. The divine arrival appeared in the most unexpected, soft and sweet-smelling body of an infant. It's the kind of God we do not have to fear. What an elegant move God made toward us. Father Richard Rohr said this, God is humble and never comes if not first invited. But God will also use just about any circumstance to get invited. God is humble and never comes if not first invited. But God will also use just about any circumstance to get invited. So let us open wide our hearts this Advent, fling open the portholes, and make room for God's coming. Amen.